All right, gals and pals, game on. It's time for the Sports Gal Pal Podcast, where we help gals and their pals come together over sports. Don't hate the game, love the game, or at least find out why he loves it so much. Now your host, the Sports Gal Pal herself, Ramona Rice. Well, hey there, Gal Pal Nation. Welcome to another episode of the Sports Gal Pal Podcast, where I hope you understand why he screams at the TV during a game. I'm your host, Ramona Rice. You can connect with me on Twitter at SportsGalPal and, of course, on SportsGalPal.com. And gals and pals, Gal Pal Nation, holy, holy, oh my gosh. I, I, I want to use like every curse word possible um, because I'm so freaking excited. You have no idea. This is the first guest I've ever had that my husband is like, whoa, how'd you do that? And I'm like, I'm not really sure. It just is one of those kind of kismet things, like a great movie plot. Um, and it's great that I'm missing that because he's a huge movie buff. So my guest today is one of my favorite ESPN personalities. I love it when he fills in for anybody, whether it's Mike and Mike or that Rosillo guy or, you know, whoever. But it's Adnan Verk. You heard you hear him on baseball tonight. He gets to be on Sports Center. He gets to do all kinds of things. He's gonna be like all over um Arizona for college football. So I'm very excited. Adnan, welcome to the show. A uh, very flattering introduction, Laura. Thank you so much. I trust me, I don't my mother doesn't get that excited to talk to me. So that was very, very uh, a unique introduction and very appreciative by me. And it's great to be on your podcast. I unfortunately I'm not that familiar with it, but I'm glad that I'm here and I hope that I can offer whatever the other guests have offered. And we're going to have fun. So thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. So I think we need to explain the story of how you got on the podcast because you happened to tweet about the movie Room, which is based on yes. an amazing book. If you have not read the book, I mean, read, yeah, read the book. See, I'm nervous. Um, read the book. You need to. It's It's unbelievably beautiful. I haven't seen the film yet. Obviously, you have and love it. And it's nominated for yeah. a zillion awards, and it probably will win a zillion awards, or it should, from what I hear from you. And I trust your judgment, because you see every movie, it seems like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you do. Um, so he happened to tweet something about that, and I was like being cheeky, going, okay, I'll just do this. He'll completely ignore it. It'll get like to the zillion, because Twitter moves so fast. And I happened to attach my friend Claire, who does an amazing podcast called Film Back. She interviews like independent filmmakers, and, and she just is brilliant and her show just is so beautiful it, it makes me so jealous anyway i'm like oh and then she made a show she's not a sports fan also she has no clue who you are or what a big deal you are and so um and here he goes he tweets back he goes sure i'll come on i'm like shut up so you the, the lesson is gals and pals jump at the opportunity because you never know what may happen so again so now he's stuck talking to a woman in her walk-in closet um on a podcast no no, no but it, it is a great lesson you're right Ramona, because it's like as you said, you, you're just, it seems kind of, I guess, far-fetched in the old world to go, why would this guy jump on? But to me, why wouldn't I jump on? Because, I mean, if you just want to talk about sports and movies, that's all I really am all about at my core. So I'm like, trust me, you're you're helping me out by giving me a form of talk about what I like to talk about. You know what I mean? It's not like you're having me on to talk about astrophysics, and I'm like, oh, man, this is going to be tough to get a cram for this. You're literally asking me just to open my mouth and see what's in my brain. So trust me, the, the, uh, the honor is mine. Excellent. Excellent. So I do like to start all my interviews with this question because I think it's fundamental as you know, the show is really designed hopefully to help people understand why sports fans are crazy because we are. Um, you have to be in order to experience the Eagle season we just did. And I know you feel my pain. Um, yes, the Chip Kelly experience. Boy, that wasn't fun. Um, but how did you personally get into sports? Yeah, you know, I, um, as you have brilliantly stated, I really am just all about movies and sports. So, I mean, as a kid, my whole goal was to get in the movies. So I thought 
you know, I, I adore Martin Scorsese, and I probably was bit by the Scorsese bug like early in high school. So I was, you know, I love 14, 15, and I was just obsessed with, you know, Raging Bow and Taxi Driver and Goodfellas. And I'm like, you know, all those movies kind of lead to all these other movies. So it's like, all right, Last Temptation of Christ and, you know, After Hours. And like, you know, the underrated films, you know, even New York, New York, which was panned, or, you know, Mean Streets, obviously, is the seminal film. So mean Streets is fantastic. Like, oh, I just, yeah. I, I, yeah. It's so underappreciated. Yeah. Right, and you're watching these movies. You think about it, Mean Streets came out in 73. You know, I was in high school, I don't know, 92 to 96. So it's like, you know, 20 years ago, this is not what, you know, I don't know talking about Deep Impact or whatever Armageddon movies, the theater, and I'm like, I'm talking about Mean Streets. So it was like, I want to do what, what, what Scorsese did. I remember my parents, you know, immigrant parents, they're not going to send me to pay thousands of dollars to go study film. Like, what are you nuts? What kind of job is that? So I remember talking to a guidance counselor in high school, and he said to me, he goes, you know, a lot of times, People end up looking at jobs they think would be fun, but they don't necessarily look at jobs they'd be good at. But I'm like, okay. And he goes, you know, you like to talk, you like to write. He goes, I don't, broadcasting to me would be a perfect fit for someone like you. You know, you're affable or, you know, whatever, amiable, whatever words you used, whatever adjectives started with the A. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go to school. You know, I'm from Toronto, and there's a great school called Ryerson University, and there's a program called Radio and Television Arts. And he goes, that'd be great for you. And my whole idea, Ramona, was like, all right, I'll go there for broadcasting. But I'll segue into film because uh, Robert Altman, the great director, was a TV director for many years and went to movies. And like other directors have done that too. And like, I don't know if you do this too, but sometimes as you get older, you, you tend to have like revisionist history in your head. But I, I cling to what is true. I remember my first day at RTA, my program, I remember the teacher asked me, what do you want to do? Like, he went around the room. And I did not tell him to be a sportscaster. But I said, oh, I'm just here because I want to be a director. I want to be, I want to be like Martin Scorsese and I want to make movies. So I'm, I came here because my parents wouldn't <laughs> endorse me going to film school, so I'm going to figure it out. And it was like, maybe my second year, I did a student film, and I just realized it wasn't very good. And it was like, you know, you hit that moment where you go, oh, I thought this is what I was destined to be, but it can't be. And, it, and I realized, it's kind of like what that guidance counselor said, I didn't have a really good visual sense. Like, Marty grew up, you know, asthmatic, literally in New York, all he did was watch movies. Like he was obsessed with storyboards and stuff. And I'm like, I don't have that visual bone. And when I did my student film, what they called visually, it's just not that appealing. The mechanics of it, like I loved watching films and studying them, but I, I couldn't really practically make it. So I started, maybe I should just be a film critic instead, because that's another awesome job. And then I started writing film reviews and stuff. But again, I couldn't get a gig, like local you know, college papers in Toronto and stuff, I couldn't get it. So it was actually, I want to say my third option, I was like, all right, how about I just go ahead and dive into the broadcasting thing, because I do love sports. And that would be fun. And a part of me always kind of wanted to be an actor. And I'm like, well, if you can't be an actor, being a sportscaster is a type of performance. And it's funny, I talked to you know, some actors, I have buddies that are in the business, and they go, there's really something special about live TV because it's kind of like doing theater. Because if you ask you know, actors who do TV and film, they talk about the monotony of it and how boring it is. And you know, doing 20 takes, and it's up and it's down, you're waiting for the lighting. The theater, they, they all love it because they go, oh my God, the spontaneity and the crowd reaction. And so that's kind of like what broadcasting is. Now, I don't have a live audience in front of me necessarily. I mean, I'll, I'll be in the road, as you mentioned, in Phoenix, so there'll be fans around us yelling at us and stuff. You know, generally, I'm in a studio environment, whether I'm doing radio or doing television. But I do get that element of being a performer. And, you know, I think that's something that I can just enjoy, and it kind of suits my strengths. And, you know, I was always a huge sports fan, you know, growing up in Canada. Obviously, hockey is huge. For me, it was always hockey in the winter and baseball in the summer. And those are the two sports that I love most of all. And when I got into high school, I started to like basketball a lot. I was a big Knicks fan. And I like football because I love Rail Cunningham. And I just, where we grew up, I grew up in a really small, wintry town in Ontario. Our town, we had like, you know, three TV channels. And literally all we ever got was Eagles games or Giants games. So I just was like, yeah, hey, the heck with the Giants. I like Cunningham. 
I'm an Eagles fan. So that that is my journey, my long winding journey towards being a sportscaster, which I'm eminently grateful for. It may not have been my first choice, but it has been a fabulous profession. It's something that I, I really cannot uh, cannot uh, hype up enough. It's been a ton of fun. Does it change your like relationship though with sports? I, I've talked to other broadcasters, yeah, and you know it's different. Like again. I'm going to be very clear. What I do in my closet and what you do for your actual job are very different things. They they really realistically are because I'm not, you know, I don't, it's just different. But I've noticed yeah. now as I'm watching games, it's, it. I look at it differently. I feel like, okay, I got to take notes or I got to like remember things. I mean, does it change yeah. what you, you, like your relationship with the game? No doubt about it. That's a great question, Ramona, and a good observation. Because I remember... My first job, you know, once I kind of decided I kind of did the sports thing, I was at TSN, which is the equivalent of ESPN in Canada. It's the sports network. And I was what's called a PA. It's a production system. It's the entry-level position. And what you do is you, you watch games and you put together a highlight pack. So you watch, I just watched a Knicks Heat game. So if you watch a Knicks Heat game, you put together a 45-second highlight for Sports Center. And you write the script. It's very basic, right? Third quarter, Knicks up by five. Carmelo Anthony, who opened harm, Knicks up by eight. Carmelo finished with 25 points. And, you know, you'd write the script, you'd cut it with an editor, you'd do like two, three games a night, and that was kind of my entry point. And for a while, it was terrible, because it really ruined uh, the way I would watch sports, because then at home, I'd be watching, going, all right, if I was in the highlight pack, when I used that replay there, where I show that touchdown, I'd go with the live look in, why not the slow-mo, like, you, you, it screwed my head up, because I'm like, I can't just watch the game. I was kind of thinking about what if I was at work, and how I cut the highlight to make it look really good. Now, eventually, I got away from that. Once I was actually on air, it was better, because I'm like, okay, you know, I, it took me five years to, to get on air, I was 24. I actually didn't even start in sports. I was doing some other stuff. And like when I got into sports, it was good. I had enough time to break away that I could watch sports better. Um, but to your point, I, I, you know, over I had a little bit of time off in December, saved up. So I said, okay, I'm going to take Christmas week off, which I don't even know the last time I had that off. I've never had an off at ESPN. I've been here almost six years. And there was all this college football on. And I felt compelled. I'm like, should I be watching these games? Because it's my job, and I'm a college football host. I'm going to be in Dallas, Fort Worth for the Cotton Bowl. I should know what happened. And I was like, but no, I'm technically off. Like if I'm a banker and I had three weeks vacation, which is what I have as a sportscaster, and those three weeks would I be monitoring the stocks and you know, and like would I be checking at the bank and stuff, or would I just go sit in my cabin and go fishing or whatever it is? So I'm like, it, it's really a great point you bring up because there's a dilemma that you go, you can never really know too much. Like as you said, if I had watched the Independence Bowl, I'm sure it may have helped me somehow in my life. Like, oh, okay, it was interesting the way whoever was calling the game or. I would know just certain aspects of it, but I, I found that especially now we became a dad, two great kids who are seven and four. When, when I'm not working, I really do try to get away a little bit, and I just try to focus on my teams, right? So I was off Sunday, no matter what, even if I wasn't sportscaster, I'd watch the Eagles game. But now I don't have to sit there and watch the Raiders Chiefs or watch the Broncos game unless I'm really into it. You know, there's a reason you have highlights. There's a reason you have Twitter. You can just check the scores, check the story. I need to know what's going on. There's no doubt about that. I mean. I'm a baseball guy. I want to know who got in the Hall of Fame. Again, I would want to know that no matter what. I'd be curious to go, oh, wow, Piazza and Ricky got in. And then I'd read a couple of stories, but it just is my life. So I guess the long answer to your question is that I try to limit it a little bit because I think that you, if you're too immersed in sports all the time, you end up getting kind of blinders, right? And you kind of have to look at the content fresh. There's a reason that, you know, God gave us two days off a week, at least in this profession. That's so that when you go back to work, you're ready to go and you're fresh. I think guys that just, soak up and immerse themselves in sports seven days a week, it can be a detriment. And that's why I have movies. That's why I have my family. That's why I have other interests in my life. It's important to have. No, I think that's great. And I'm starting to get to that point where, you know, like I'll really pay attention to if it's a UVA game, 
obviously, because we've talked about yeah. this. I graduated from there, or I stopped paying attention to Eagles games because it was too painful to watch. I'll be really honest. This, this season was just like, you know, this the yeah. <laughs> the second he traded Sean <laughs> McCoy for Kiko, I'm like, what? What's going on? I don't understand. Okay, I don't like this GM. Fire him. Maybe we'll keep the coach. So yeah, um, uh, how are your thoughts on that? Like, are you okay with the Chip Kelly firing, or are you not allowed to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> no, I can I can say ever. You know, it's it's interesting. I feel like I really loved the move when he got hired. I don't know about you. And I worked with Vimer Silver, as you mentioned, and he knows Chip pretty good because he did college game day for a number of years. And so, you know, Oregon was a great team. And he got to know Chip a little bit. And he's a great guy. So he was like, I am pulling so hard for Chip to be successful. because he's a really good dude. Which is why it's so weird. Like, you now all these stories are coming up about the players just hate him. They just couldn't stand it. He was antagonistic and power tripping. It's just interesting. When I listen to media guys, they're like, oh my God, he's a great dude, down to earth, money. Like, really? I'm like, these guys make him sound like he's some sort of fascist. So, um, I thought 10 and 6, 10 and 6, 7 and 9, that, that earns another year. I really did. I thought this was a bad year. Um, certainly we were trending downward. The personnel decisions did were dreadful. Like you mentioned, the McCoy move. Losing Mackler for agency, you know, obviously Deshaun Jackson signing Demarco Murray. I mean, there was there was a litany of poor decisions we made. It felt like Chip Kelly, the personnel guy, let down Chip Kelly, the coach. I did think it was the right approach that we should, when Jeff Lurie went to him and said, "Listen, this isn't working out. How about we just strip you the personnel duties and just have you be a coach because you are a good coach." But Chip said no, which I understand too. Like imagine if in your life you're getting more responsibility than someone tries to take later responsibility. You go, "Well, the heck, with it. I'll just go to somebody else." That like that's fine. So I, I personally thought he deserved another year, but I didn't. I didn't. I didn't lose any sleep over it. I certainly didn't cry any tears with Chip Kelly because this year really was bad. And when you hear how poisonous the environment was, it sounded like they needed to make a change. <laughs> yeah. No. I um seriously had a celebratory cocktail at the restaurant when I got the um, bleacher <laughs> bleacher update. I was like, okay, time for a martini, right. and the waiter and I mm-hmm. cheered because uh, <laughs> apparently my, my fears are Ramona. Like, what do we do now? Like, who do you want to be the coach? You have another, sometimes. <sighs> I don't want to make it sound like it's the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Like, I know. The one that you, do? you know what? He can turn around the Eagles. I don't know who it is. No, nah, there's nobody right now. My problem with Chip Kelly isn't that. I mean, I know he's a good coach, and that's fine. The challenge is, is that, okay, the GM Chip coach brings in an all-star like DeMarco Murray. When you invest that much money into a player, but you don't adapt your offense for that player, that's what I have a problem with. And I wasn't sure. And that's ego of the coach. That's not the GM. <laughs> you right. know, and it was like dealing with Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. It was not working. I, I did not like Chip Kelly... I had many concerns going to the season. I, I am documented. Um, Pod Vader has his own podcast. He's got like 32 guys that each represent each NFL team. Can you imagine wrangling 32 men to talk about football? Well, I managed to do that. Yeah, Pod, Pod, Vader is a, Pod Vader is an entity unto himself. Pod, it's pretty impressive. Pod Vader's something. It depends on the day and my mood. Right now, I like Jay. <laughs> it depends on the mood. Uh, but, you know, I had um, the Eagles super fan on many times, and he's like you. He's like, no, I want it Chip Kelly. He thought Chip Kelly was a genius in the right mood. And I'm just thinking, you're crazy. He's also, though, equating, like, um, he, he basically described Harry Roseman as being, like, in the wings, like, whispering, like, you know, words to Laurie. And, like, I'm like, so basically you're calling him Iago from Othello. And Othello, yes, Othello has now killed Desdemona, who's Chip Kelly. So we're recycling that, or he's a Sith Lord, or it's a Chancellor Palpatine from the third Star Wars prequel. So we're rehashing like plots. <laughs> and then I tweeted that to him. He goes, yes, that's exactly what it is. I'm like, okay, that that's crazy. I'm just, no, I'm ready for a change. I'm ready for something that, again, who recognizes that DeMarco Murray is an amazing running back. 
because we have a history of great running backs with this organization. Um, that or just bring Brian Westbrook in to fix DeMarco Murray. Maybe that's the case. Um, yes. <laughs> just bring 36. No, but you're, you're right about the fact. There's no doubt. You signed DeMarco Murray to all that money. And he's a personnel guy. And then you just don't use him. Like, I don't, or I use don't him effectively. You don't, you don't yeah. Use him effectively. You're going to invest that much money into a player. Your offense needs to be based on that player. I mean, that's your guy. So base your offense on that guy. And he didn't. And I'm going, and it's not like he can blame another GM. He did the deal. He did the deal. So that's, that's the part of me that goes, okay, this isn't working. So I was perfectly fine with the move. I'm I'm just like, yes, done. Good luck in Tennessee. If that's where you wind up. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. And that, listen, what I'd like to, I would have given him another year. But like I said, him lose his job. I'm not upset, bitter, whatever. I just, I wonder how long it's now going to take to clean up the mess that that ship makes. Unfortunately, those contracts were not good. The Demarco Murray, the Alonzo, you know, move was not good. The trade, as you mentioned, so now, now I'm just worried. I'm like, now it's a period of uncertainty. You know, forgive me if I don't feel like Doug Peterson is the savior to answer all our problems. Apparently, he's a fun for that coaching job. Oh God, it's just ugh, 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 ugh. All right, I don't want to talk about it anymore. Um, speaking of football, though, college football, it finally wraps up. Doesn't it seem like it's been like the longest bowl season? Like, this was not a fun bowl uh, season. It was not. Well, I, again, I got to be honest with you. It's a weird thing working in these things. It's like you feel like you can never take time off because the sports calendar is always so jam packed. And, like, you know, unlike, give me one of your favorite sports dancers. Go ahead. Give me a name. Whatever you want. Oh, what? One of your guys? Yeah. Um, my all-time favorite, honestly, and it, I shouldn't be because he's a terrapin, would be the SVP. I mean, he is. Right. Okay. So, Scotty, uh, that won't work in this example. But what I was going to well, say. You can pick one. All right. I'll pick, a, I'll pick another one. How about, um, oh, who's the Oregon guy? Um, Neil Everett. Yeah. So we'll do that one. Yeah. Again, that one won't work. It's my fault. I'll explain why. <laughs> I was thinking of someone like a, I was like a Reese Davis because he works on I sports. I love him. Stuff. Yeah. Like, right. He works on college football and college basketball. So, Reese's schedule goes from. August to April, and nothing like he's just chilling. Like he does the NBA draft, and that's it. So, but the thing is, if my schedule was as such, then it would be a lot easier to just be like, okay, hey, you know what? There's a lot of bowl games, but guess what? I get, you know, May, June, and July off, so it's okay. You have to kind of soak it up. But my schedule, which, listen, I'm very grateful for that I'm actually valued by SGM, is I do baseball in the summer, I do college football in, in the fall, and I do college basketball in the winter, and I sprinkle away to wherever I can. So I was, like I said, I took that time off at Christmas week because I'd never had it before. I wanted to spend time with family. And if you don't use vacation by the end of the year, you lose it. You know, I'm sure he's been to many corporations that way. So like my boss, I called football. He was pretty good about it. I was just like, listen, I, I know there's a ton of games on. I get that they get your ratings, but you know, I, I, kinda, I deserve the week. I get three to 52 years. Yeah, no problem. I understand. So to be honest with you, I really gave myself a respite from all that bull action. I could not imagine if I had been in studio for – the bulk of all those games, like I listened on the 27th, I flew down to Dallas. It was me and Danny uh, Canal doing some games there from site, and the stuff was fine. Obviously, I watched the Cotton Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl was a blowout. I mean, a lot of these games have been dreadful. I mean, let's call a spade a spade. I mean, the fact that they haven't been very competitive has added to the fact that I agree with you. It feels like this bowl season is just endlessly long, it's just interminable at this point. So, the only good thing is, like I said, I gave myself a bit of a break because if I was actually working the entire time, I would just. I think that this bowl season is just it's painful. Like you said, you as a fan, already you have fatigue from this. Could you imagine somebody who's actually working at ESPN where all we do is talk about college football or NFL football for that matter? 
Yeah, no, no. And again, my bias is because my team was so bad that we didn't get bowl eligible. <laughs> so there is that that's too. Tough, Especially when there's so many bowl games. That's what it's painful, right? We bring them. There's 40 bowl games and they weren't bowl eligible. What happened? Oh, well, Virginia? Uh, <laughs> there's not enough time on this podcast to even go into what yeah, happened with Virginia. That's Vir- fair point. <laughs> it's Virginia. Bronco is coming. <laughs> it's like winter is coming. No, Bronco yeah. is coming. By the way, I, I, I will say Mark May, I was like, hey, yeah, Bronco Winnell, I do think he's a good coach. Although he did say he's going to have a challenge recruiting in Virginia because it's going to be just a completely different mindset for him going from where he was to now trying to be with the Cavaliers. He did say that. Yeah, it's so weird hearing people say Cavaliers, by the way, for Virginia, because I'm always like, who's? But yeah, it, it is odd. But I mean, you know, the academic standards are very high, apparently. You know, I, I'm still surprised right. they let me in um, at times. That's not true. Um, <laughs> I love my time there. But, um, you know, I think he seems like from what I've read and what I've seen, obviously, I don't know the man, but he looked like he was ready for a new challenge. And sometimes people need that. I like that. And I like the fact that he's a disciplinarian. Like, I want that. Like, I need that was the problem with Mike London is that. He was an amazing recruiter. I thought he was an amazing representative for the university and the community. The problem was at game time, the silly um, penalties are what always got me. The 12 men on the field or the false starts or, and again, you know, early in the season, those things happen because you're dealing with, you know, 18, 19 year olds who are brand new at this and brand new to systems that I get. But by the end of the season, you shouldn't have those problems, especially if you've got a core of, you know, upperclassmen, you should not have those issues. That's coaching and that's game time coaching. Like he couldn't figure out timeouts and I'm going, okay, that's a problem. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. And I feel like, you know, with coaches in general, um, they, I've been really, it was funny, I, I, I recorded an episode yesterday because, again, you were kind of a bonus. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm not going to turn him well, down because he wants to go in. It's like, it's a bonus. Yeah, it's Adnan. But, you know, it's one of those things where I, um, I've been down on coaches lately because I'm going, guys, you guys are the generals. You know, you guys are the ones that say this is what we're supposed to do and then ensure that they get done. And I'm just seeing across the board, maybe it's also like it's like the quarterback thing. There's just a lack of good coaches out there right now. Yeah, I agree with you. Part of it as well, that you go, all right, hey, there's always so many Nick Savings out there. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a difficult sport. And like you said, you hit the nail on the head when you talk about recruiting. Recruiting is like what this thing is all about. Like, I hear some of these coaches go, eh, the strategy, the X's and O's, eh, you can kind of figure it out. You got a good OC, you got players that can figure things out. If you don't have talent, you got no shot. And the only way to get that talent is to recruit it. And so, that's a new challenge for Bronco. If he's good going in the living rooms and, Charming the pants off the moms and, you know, telling the dads he's going to, you know, take their sons in the right direction. And that's, that is more than half the battle. And that's going to be the key to turning them around. I hope so. I hope so. All right. So, um, college football, I, I, since I am an ACC girl and I do not dislike Clemson, like, again, we were joking on Twitter. You, called me hilarious but I'm dead serious like I'm still devastated that UVA basketball lost to Virginia Tech I'm not even gonna lie to you I'm still like I'm dealing with <laughs> hokey like because they forget here's the thing about hokey fans that I I just oh my god so they they all about football we know this beaver ball whatever yeah um but once football's over they hibernate it's fantastic because they forget balls come in round shape um, like half of them, like the, I guarantee you 98% of their fan base didn't even know they had a basketball game on Monday, but all of a sudden they beat Virginia and they're like, woo, oh my God, we have got the greatest basketball team ever. I'm like, yeah, okay, no, slow your roll there, Hokies, slow your roll. So, um, <laughs> if, if Virginia Tech were playing in this game, I would be like roll tide, but because it's Clemson, I'm an ACC girl. I really want Dabo to win also because I don't want the SEC to win yet again, which is odd to me because it's not like they've won the last couple of years. So that that's who I'm pulling for. No, but you're right. You're right. The SEC it always feels like 
Like they're Darth Vader, right? Like they're just a they're the Patriots. They're just hanging yes. in the bounce. They're the New exactly. England Patriots. Even if, they yes. don't, even if they don't win, Saban's just like Belichick. You know he's lurking. He's, he's, his presence is always felt. Even if the SEC doesn't win, you're right. If Bama wins, I mean these SEC fans, those Bama fans are going to be as insufferable as you can imagine. I mean, and for good reason. It'd be four titles in seven years. Like that's nuts in today's college football game. So. Uh, I totally hear your spirit for sure for Clemson. It's, it's, it's crazy. They're the number one team in the country after the underdog. They haven't lost all year. They have an incredible quarterback in Deshaun Watson, a great defense. Both their offensive line and defensive line are impressive. And then people are like, ooh, it's going to be a tough one. They have to upset Alabama. <laughs> it's just funny how the sport works that way. Well, I think, too, it's the ACC bias. Like, again, if this were reverse and it were like ACC basketball versus SEC basketball, they'd be, the 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 it would go to the ACC, and that's what it is. It's just Absolutely. when you think college football, you think SEC. I mean, you just do. Yeah. No, it's a fair point. And listen, I think it is a great conference. Do I think they had a bit of a dip this year overall? Yeah, probably. I thought the Pac-12 was probably deeper. I thought the Big Ten was a little bit overrated. Uh, but then bowl season, the SEC West was unbelievable. I think they're like 7-1, and one, so I could completely beat whoever they face. So, I, I listen, I generally think they are the best conference, but do they get – Oh, too much love sometimes, a little too much hype. Yeah, probably. I can see why. I can totally see why someone like yourself is out. Oh, God, it, standing at SEC, it, it, it's like hating the Yankees. You know what I mean, it's kind of a rite of passage. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I suppose so. All right, let's let's move on to your other favorite love, and that's movies. Um, so, and while I was attending UVA, I took several movie classes. One of whom I. Awesome. Yes, yes. I did four directors. So it was a class where we studied four American directors, and it was Fincher, Stone, Spielberg, and Scorsese. So we watched movies from... From, it was it was delightful, and then we I also took a Kubrick class and then a film noir class. So I've seen every Stanley nice. Kubrick movie. Yes, I'm impressed from all of you. Know, that's so funny. I was just cleaning out some of my DVDs, and I I finally did the long, long awaited goal of getting rid of my VHS case. I just could not bear to part with them. Then my wife pointed out I hadn't watched any of them in like five years. But they had like all these old movies I'd recorded off, you know, TCM or. AMC, whatever it was, I, but like I don't even use the VCR. But I just I couldn't get rid of it, so I finally got rid of it. But anyways, I had my uh, my Kubrick collection. I actually have the Stanley Kubrick DVD collection. So it's so funny that you mentioned that because literally I was looking at it yesterday. I'm like, all right, I haven't seen Lolita in a long time. Barry Lyndon, I never got through, but I love The Shining. Love 2001. Yeah, Full Metal Jacket. Maybe I should watch the the first hour of Full Metal Jacket to me is so incredible. Like Arlie Ermy as the sergeant has so many memorable lines. Even they're epically profane, but. And very vulgar, but it's just it's such a bizarre movie. I think the first hour of that literally is as good as any movie, and the second hour it just falls off a cliff. But I, I, I like shot on love him. He's, he's such an incredible filmmaker. I mean, there's one thing about Kubrick, and you know this, having taken a class with him, like he did not care what people thought. He would take chances. He rolled the dice. I mean, that's, that's why he was so widely admired. I think, especially by people in the film community. Yeah, and they're beautifully shot, too. Like, I love oh. the opening scene in Clockwork Orange where it's that one, like, it's just his eye, and then it pans out, and it's so creepy. Like, it, and it just sets the oh, tone yeah. for the entire movie. It just, that movie, like, it, it's beautiful and yet sick, and I love it. <laughs> you know, and The Shining. Yeah, the fact that, like, yeah. he's, the fact that he's singing, singing in the rain while they're just, like, beating this woman and, like, you know, raping the guy. Like, it was just, there's so much going on there. You're like, what, what, why is he singing, singing in the rain? Like, yeah. It's so sadistic and twisted. And that scene where he's, you know, they keep his eyeballs popped open all the time. I mean, it's just, there's, there's so many images, like you said, that stick in your mind as repulsive or as repellent as the characters may be. 
Yeah, no, it, it's fantastic. And again, and I, um, he had daddy issues. That's the only thing. Cause every, every film was always about lackluster father figures in some way. It really <laughs> is. Like my final paper in that class was, I was like, no, this, he's got daddy issues. I think I actually wrote that. And the professor was like, okay, I'd rather you had rewarded it this way, but you're probably right. So yeah. And actually one of the films, even though he technically didn't direct it, I loved AI, like artificial intelligence. It, yeah. I love that movie. Right, right. It is. And it's you know, such an interesting idea. When you, when, you, when you watch it, sorry to cut you off. No, you're you fine. Know, the, the movie ends is like, I, I, Henry Joe Osmond's character, I can't remember the kid in the movie, but yeah, I think he's he's staring at the ship and you can totally tell like, that's where Kubrick would have ended the movie. And then there's another 20 minutes that Spielberg tacked on with the happy ending, which is it's fine, it's very Spielbergian, but I'm like, oh my God, this is totally not the film. The first half totally feels like a Kubrick film and the second half starts to feel like a Spielberg film, especially that ending. And I agree with you, it's, it's a shame we couldn't have just seen the Stanley Kubrick version because there's a, a lot going on there too. But the scene with the lion and the weeping tears, I mean, there's some a great images in that movie. Yeah, there really are. All right, so I asked you if you didn't mind to compile because it is a sports show, <laughs> and sports yeah. make the best movies. I mean, they really do. Yeah. So I um. Real quick, I compiled my top five. I had to really think about it. And I was like, do I go for like impressing him? And I'm like, no, I'm just going to be real and honest. So I have my top five. And I asked you to come up awesome. with your top five. So I thought we would compare and um, see. Because mine, some of them are silly. And then some of them are just like, I have personal reasons why I love them. So we will go through them. Listen, so, you, you don't even, I like the fact that you're prefacing these like with hesitation because you're really going to mock you. Ramona, movies or a personal experience. Whatever you got the bad news bears are number one, I don't care. If it's important to you, that's great. Let's hit me. What do you got? All right, so number five, because anytime it's on the TV, it doesn't matter, you will watch it, is the replacements. That is the stupidest movie. But I love it because it's one of those things. It doesn't matter if it's in the middle or the end. Um, it doesn't matter the fact that none of the team names make sense or that the the cheerleader knows more about football than anybody else. And they sing that stupid Ole 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 song. I mean, come on, they're great actors in that too. John Favreau's in that, you know, Keanu was in bad Gene Hackman. You can't go wrong when Gene Hackman's in a movie, especially a sports movie. Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, so I, I but it's one of those things if it's on TBS, you're just going to sit there and go, it's on. I'll just go ahead and watch it. And then you, you sound the line. So that's mine. <laughs> Let's see. Keanu. All right. Yeah. Number four, Major League. <laughs> I mean, I come love on. Major League. Come it's on. Also my top five. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, number three, personal reasons, Rudy. Um, I am not a Notre Dame fan by any stretch of the means. And I'll tell you this story. So um, this past July, my husband lost his childhood best friend that had been his best friend for like since the third grade. He died of pancreatic cancer. It was uh, very sad. They were both awesome. huge Notre Dame fans. And when Notre Dame came yep. to Virginia, my husband, you know, he normally wears UVA stuff and he decided to wear that awful Notre Dame stuff. And so I made him like, he didn't get to use our season tickets. Yeah, that's how sick I am, Adnan. I have season tickets to UVA football. Uh, that's really sad. Um, <laughs> I will only drive three hours to watch really bad football. It will change this year, I believe. Um, so I made him sit like in a whole other section all. But the day after he had died it was actually the day after our daughter's birthday so he died on our daughter's birthday and he was the godfather for both of our kids oh, and so what we decided to do we watched rudy and we sobbed you know and so for me oh. that's one of those just and it's such a good movie it's such a good no movie. i agree with you i love uh, i love the relationship with him and that baby you know the scene where he actually runs out a person who's a member of notre dame and the reaction of his dad i mean i, I definitely i choked up as a kid when i saw it i probably still would if i saw it again now you're right it's a really what I really love about Rudy is that he's not a star, right? He's just a grunt. He's someone we can all identify with. 
And even his big moment is what? You know, he played garbage time. I mean, he got a sack. and like, like you know, It's so irrelevant to the season, but it is such a statement on how the accomplishment was that he actually made the team. And I mean, some of the scenes are a little far-fetched. I've talked to Mike Gullick, my buddy on Mike and Mike. He said that that never happened, obviously, where they, all the guys put their jerseys yeah, in there. Of course not. For Rudy and, and he wasn't, you know, maybe as well liked a guy who there not to be. He was a jerk, I guess, from some of the stories that I've heard from people. But you know what? I agree with this. The movie is very, very powerful. Yeah. Plus, um, you know, again, John Favreau once again is in a movie. Yeah, uh, John Favreau. Yeah, very kind of. He plays the overweight, chubby, friendly guy. Yeah, he nailed that role pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Plus, he's brilliant in Chef. That's one of my most favorite movies, like ever. Like last year, like I love Chef. Yeah. Oh my oh, gosh, yeah. so good, and it makes me hungry every time I watch Although, it. Although I, I, I love the fact that Sofia Vergara would go back to him. Like that's that is the brilliance of John Favreau. You know what? If I'm and Scarlett Johansson. Uh, yeah, I'm going to get the really hot girl. Yeah. Scarlett Johansson no and Sofia Vergara. I mean, he got both of them. Like That's good yeah. for him. Good for him. Plus, John Leguizamo's <laughs> in it, and he's amazing. Um, so, again, okay. Yeah, I love uh, Bobby Cannavale. He's one of my favorite yeah. uh, supporting actors. He's in the movie, too. I love Cannavale. He's great. Yeah. He's good in that movie, too. All right, so number two, Raging Bull. Um, again, I nice. watched it again. Um, the first time I was introduced to it was that, Scors- it was that class of Scorsese and Fincher. And Fincher, by the way, is brilliant. Um Case of Benjamin yeah. Button, one of my one of the best movies ever, and it's based on F. Scott Fitzgerald's short story. Who I love him so much. Anyway, but Raging Bull, the scenes, and we talked about this. It's so beautiful. Like he made like yeah. everybody's like the quintessential boxing movie. He's Rocky. Hello, I'm a Philadelphia fan. No, it's not Rocky. It is Raging Bull. Like you need to if you've yeah. never seen this movie, rent this movie right now. Like go to iTunes and download it. You will thank me. It is so beautiful. And Robert De Niro is just perfection in this. I don't think it gets any better than him. The angles, the smokiness of it, um just it's incredible. It's just an incredible, incredible movie. And so sad, like, because he had all this talent and it's just it, it, I don't think oh, it's so good. So good. I love it. I, I mean, I, I, Raging Bull is to me a perfect movie. It's my, I'm my favorite movie. It's, you know, the Adam Taxi Driver, Goodfellas. I love Marty so much. But like you said, if you go through each element of the film, so if you just go, you know, uh, acting wise, like you said, De Niro, that set the template for an actor, you know, gaining weight or losing weight. You know, all these other actors had mimicked that. He was the first guy to really go, I'm putting 60 pounds on him by Jake LaMotta. And it's just total commitment to the role. LaMotta himself, he could have been a boxer. That's who De Niro was when he was actually in the ring. And the way that he has all that anger and all that, that self-loathing. I mean, the Madonna whore complex. The fact that he has such low self-esteem. He can't believe anyone would want to be with him unless she's cheating on him or unless she's, you know, unfaithful. Like, unless she's just worthless. And that's like how, how he views the world. And the way that Scorsese operates the camera, that you're always seeing it through Jake's eyes. You know, it's slow motion. He always thinks that, that Dickie's cheating on him. Kathy Moriarty is so great. You know, beautiful young ingenue. The way she finally gives it back to Jake and unfortunately, you know, Unleashes his vengeance upon her late in the film. Pesci's unbelievable. The, the beauty of Jerome and Pesci in the movie, and Michael Rappaport talked about this with Scorsese, it's the 35th anniversary of the movie. He said, there's so much humor in Raging Bull, and you mix it. He's like, well, that first scene, De Niro came up with that line, him and Scorsese went on vacation, the line of, you know, don't overcook it. She's cooking the steak. If you overcook it, it defeats its own purpose. It's, it's such a funny line, but they love doing it. Even, even they're walking down the hall, and De Niro says, it's awful that I'm laughing. It's just only the effect of being up like, God, or Pesci doesn't want you to just kill it. You know what I mean? And it was like, hey, he's easy. You know, that's, that's, that's my wife you're talking about. Like, you treat her like a completely vital person. Hey, 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 that's my wife, buddy. Back it up. Yeah. And it's like, before you get to, obviously, the abusive stuff, I'm telling you, there's a lot of humor in there. And 
like you said, directorally. I mean, listen, Scorsese rewrote the book there. I mean, Scott Hicks, when he made the movie Shine, which is about a you know, pianist who suffers uh, afflictions and tries to overcome them, he said, like, the movie he looked at was Raging Bull, like, what are you talking about? It has nothing to do with a concert pianist. He's like, no, but those boxing scenes, which are only 12 minutes of a two-hour, 10-minute film, are like mini movies. Like, like are, you go to film school and study those scenes, especially that last Sugar Ray Robinson fight. Yeah. Like you said, the smokiness, the way it's just so expressionist. Like, the fact he was the first one to really put the camera in the ring with you. And, like, you're feeling all those punches and the sound effects and, like, the blood falling on the, the people court, uh, ringside. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unreal the way everything is from Jake's perspective. So, and then the ending, like you said, it's, it's a sad film, but it's, it's very bittersweet because it's like, even though, he was the champion, ends up being this fat failure. He somehow has a moment of serenity. And he ends up, I mean, you talk about being a movie geek. I mean, this is like level upon level. It's Robert De Niro, an actor, playing a boxer, reciting a speech by Marlon Brando, an actor who played a boxer, and on the waterfront. And that's that last scene where he's looking in the mirror. And it's amazing because they're using one of their favorite films, Rosetta De Niro, Lydia Kazan's On the Waterfront, to tell the story of Jake LaMotta, which really shouldn't be connected because one's just a story of fiction, one's an actual biography, and yet the speech he's giving, you know, I could have been a contender, I could have been somebody instead of a bum, which is what I am, let's face it. You know, it's, it's, it's working on lots of different metaphysical levels. Like it's, it's, it's an incredible piece of work. And like you said, for a film that's so violent and unfortunately shows the ugliness of American life, it's so gorgeous, like the Mascani music that he plays, with the opening credit mm-hmm. sequence, you know, shadow boxing in slow motion. I mean, it's a... It's, a, it's an exquisite piece of work. I love the fact that it's number two. It's obviously number one for me. But go ahead. Give me your number one. Sandlot. <laughs> oh, you want to go from reading bowls to the Sandlot. You wow. promise not to All mock right. me? Here's the reason no, you're why. Right. Here's the reason why. Number one, the one-liners. If I say you're killing me, Smalls, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That's an impactful movie. Every kid needs a summer like that. Every kid needs a summer where the only thing you have to do is play baseball all day long, get dirty, and then get into the biggest pickle of all time. And plus, James Earl Jones is in it, and they introduced an entire generation of children to Murderer's Row. So it's an incredible movie. You know, Dennis Leary's in it. It just, I love it. It, There's so many great issues. Um, You know, again, he's trying to bond with his new son, you know, the stepson, and and just, it's baseball. But it's it's baseball at its purest, and it's it's stickball. And I love it so yes i i realize it's silly i probably should have i could have gone for the cool factor put raging bull up but it's not true <laughs> it is the sandlot so you're right gotta be true to yourself gotta be true to me. yeah and it's a good movie it's, i right. feel like it's under underrated so yes all right what's your top five all right so i'll go i'll go the other way i'll go raging bull was number one right. number two for me is hoop dreams the great uh, basketball documentary i made thought about adding that yes i thought about that yeah. Stephen hoop James. is incredible yeah it's it's one of those movies where it's like it's, you know, obviously it's supposed to be about basketball and these two guys trying to make the NBA, and it's really about more than that, right? It's about inner city life, it's about the relationship with their fathers, relationship with their mothers, relationship with their friends, you know, how dreams can become dashed. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's devastating at times, it's sad, but it's also hopeful. It's, it's always so authentic. I mean, it's, it's very emotionally raw, but it's, again, it has, it has its moments of humor, but it is. It's a heavy film because it talks about a seriousness. And I think and for a lot three of hours people... Long. <laughs> yeah, it, it's long. You're right. It's heavy. It's not a fun movie just popping in on Sunday afternoon. But it appealed to the fact that this is what life is like. And I think at that time, it really was a touchstone film. I was 16. I remember when I saw it, I was like, I have no idea what it's like going up to inner city of Chicago. I have no idea why sports is so important to these guys because it's the only escape that they have that they feel like they're having. 
you know, aside from crime, aside from all these other negative influences. So I thought Hoop Dreams number two, it was such a catastrophe. Remember, it wasn't even nominated for an Oscar. It was like, Cisco Niebuhr, like, when they went crazy. They wonder, oh my God, we're going to boycott the Oscars. It was such a, yeah. a huge deal. I still remember what a, what a, what a deal it was. Uh, three, I'll go with Field of Dreams. I know it's a little bit sentimental, but yeah, I love it. Good. I mean, it's, it's a good baseball. movie. And it, we, we yeah, at least have one movie. Kevin Costner movie in one of our lists. I did not include. Yeah, no doubt. I, did, I, I mean, I could have did Bull Durham. Man. Yeah. Yeah, Bull Durham is another great one, no doubt about it. But I just love Through the Dreams. I love uh, the original story, Shoeless Joe, which was written by, by W.P. Kinsella. And I love to give you like James Earl Jones. I'll give you that. He's great. And he's in that too. Great. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Terrence Mann, the only author, doesn't want to be a part of this thing. And Moonlight Graham. Burt Lancaster is amazing. He tells the story about the the one at bat that he had and you know all the, the flowers that he bought for Alicia's wife that he never got around to giving to her. You know, Leota playing you know, uh, Shoeless Joe in the movie. And it's a really good cast. That's a really sweet story. This, I mean, how could you not choke up at the end with an A day? I don't have a catch. I mean, that's the ultimate, you know, father and son moment. Certainly, I'm sure, you know, women can appreciate it. I'm sure, you know, obviously girls can catch with their dads, too. And what's, what's more sweet than that, that kind of moment there, which is really, really cool. It's about redemption, obviously, right? So this is always yeah. good. Uh, number four, I'll go with Major League. It's a fun baseball movie. And, uh, you know, listen, it's great laughs. I mean, again, eclectic cast, you know, it's Wesley Snipes, Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger. Uh, Berenger, I think, was based on Gary Carter, I read somewhere, and I loved Gary Carter growing up, and his characters play, like the old catcher, trying to kind of rile the troops together, and, you know, they, they win in spite of themselves. I just think it's got a great humor to it, but also a lot of heart, and it's, you know, again, earned its ending as well. And number five, I don't know if I have a number five, I, you know, I could give you a few. The Rocket, it's a really great hockey movie, The Rocket with Shard. Right. I love Downhill Racer, which is a skiing movie. It's a, the best skiing movie I ever made. It's Robert Redford's in it. 1968, he plays this very aloof, self-absorbed skier. He, he's fantastic in the movie because it's, it's really kind of downbeat minimalist. But it's really of its era. And the, the skiing shots are unreal. It's all kind of from the POV. And like it really shows how, how crazy skiing is. Right? When you watch that movie, you go, oh, my God, I don't know how anybody ever puts on skis and doesn't realize they're risking their lives. Uh, so I'll put that up there. So maybe I'll go with downhill, downhill skier in there. I think that's downhill racer. Sorry. I mean, I could be really kitschy and go with like Days of Thunder. I guess it's pretty entertaining. Feel like a race car movie. And <laughs> you got Duvall all crotchy, yelling at Tom Cruise and stuff. But I, that that's my five. I think that's pretty good. Of your list, I definitely I'm most impressed slash surprised by the inclusion of the Sandlot. But I. Like I said, I respect the fact you're putting it at number one. That's strong. No, because it's it's my base. Look, and if you ask me to pick a baseball movie, and I you know there are many. Like my husband kept going, the natural Ramona, the natural. I'm like, no, that's yeah. not my base. That's your baseball movie. That's not mine. Uh, <laughs> mine is the same. You know, I'll tell you the problem with the natural, and Bradford admitted this. It was like the book. If you ever read it, you were talking about the movie Room, which is extraordinary. I, I have to read the book now because I want to see how well the movie captures it. But if you read the book The Natural, like it is like a literary classic. And the ending of it, he strikes out. Like that like Roy Hodge strikes out and I remember the scene, I vividly remember the way it was written. He's he's choking self loathing as he's walking down the stairs like after I think he's cut or released or everybody owner. Like that's like it, it is a downbeat, devastating ending. Of course the movie it's a home run, it you know, shatters the lights and like there's freaking, you know, huge celebrations. So I remember watching it going, Oh my god, it just completely ruined the book. Yeah. It's so cheap. But but I'm with you. I can see why people like the natural. Let me take it with you. For what it is, it's good. No, it's definitely, definitely good. Really interesting. I thought about adding Hoop Dreams to my list. I really did. Um, but I have a problem with the director, Stephen James. And the reason why is he's actually from my hometown, which is where I live in, nice. in um, um, the Hampton Roads area, which is where um, Alan Iverson's from. And he did your guys' 30 for 30 film, you know, Alan Iverson, No Trial, No Crossover. I have a problem because that documentary was really inaccurate for the guy who um, decided to prosecute 
Allen Iverson, um, who's now a judge, because he's actually um, the dad of a personal friend of mine. And I remember my husband and I watching the 30 for 30 when it came on. And they had all these people talking about him. Now, he decided to decline to, to speak. And that makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. And they had people on there. And it was so ludicrous to me that they included this. But they had people on there talking about how he had graduated from a high school that was a rival of the high school that Allen Iverson went to in our town. And they were talking about that's the okay. reason he um, prosecuted him because he's a rival high school. And I'm like, but his daughters went to a whole different high school. And I've never heard him even mention his high school. I'm like, and it was him adding these things. I'm like, why are you doing this? It doesn't prove your point at all. So it was like, uh, no. Um, yeah. So that's my weird Stephen James connection. Um, and apparently his mom, like, like his mom like lived like two blocks down from my parents' house. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I know. I know it's crazy, but Hoop Dreams, seriously, um, it, it is an incredible film. It is a long film and it's a sad film because neither I'll spoil it for you guys. Neither one of them makes it to where they want to be. And, right. you know, you wonder what lessons they learn. And it's just and, and what was interesting to me was and it's before anybody was really talking about the business of sports, particularly as now we're talking about like NCAA sanctions and NCAA like stipends. And do we pay these athletes? Are they truly um, amateurs? Are they getting compensated enough? And I know this is something that floats around ESPN all the time because Jay Billis is like, hey, what? I'm going to mention it every five minutes. That was the first yeah. kind of thing that kind of brought up the true business of using basically children to you know, right. succeed yourself because this prep school that these guys were going to, you know, was the same school that Isaiah right. Thomas went to. So that I thought was really interesting too. Yeah, you're right. That, I never even realized that, but you're right. That that's because it's a hot topic now and how players exploited. And you're right. That's one of the themes of that movie. I mean, it's it's it encompasses a lot more than just a couple of guys trying to make the NBA certainly. Definitely, definitely. All right. Real quick, picks for Golden Globes, because you, unfortunately, will not be able to watch them because you're going to be on air. <laughs> I know. Can you believe that? What, they, like, what kind of a cruel joke is this? I said to Rosella again, like, what, what is the big deal of the Globes? I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, I'm a huge movie geek. This is like movie award season. I'm going to be talking about the national championship while people are like sending me envelopes. Or, like, people are tweeting like, who's winning? But, um, yeah, I think Spotlight is going to win Best Picture. It feels like that has the momentum right now. Uh, I don't know what all the nominees are in Best Picture Musical or Comedy, although I think it's hilarious that The Martian is nominated. So I don't, it is not going to be a musical or a comedy, but it might just win. But I think um, Best Actress will be fascinating, Ramona. I think it's going to be either um, DiCaprio for The Revenants, or, you know, it, it feels like maybe it's his year, but at the same time you go, well, but Eddie Redmayne. I mean, he, apparently he's amazing in the Danish girl. Obviously, won the Oscar last year uh, for playing Stephen Hawking. So... I feel like it's between those two guys. I'd love to see Michael Fassbender and recognize Steve Jobs. He was great in that. Best actress, I think, is going to be fascinating. We talked about Brie Larson in the room. She's extraordinary. But great competitions. you got Kate Blanchett and Carol, which is a love story set in the 1950s. You know, her and Rudy Mara. And that was taboo at the time. So, you know, you know how to love very socially relevant topics of gay marriage. So that's, that's one right there. And in addition to the fact, I should say, the movie is great. And, and she's fantastic. And Kate Blanchett always is. So I think it's her, Brie Larson. I think it's also going to be maybe, I don't express it because it's her name, but I think it's Cyrus Ronan, the one who was in Brooklyn. She's really good in that. So that's, a, that's I think that's actually very compelling. Um, supporting actress, I love to see McCadden's win for Spotlight. I'm just telling you, but it's such a great movie. And I think it's, it is, um, again, timely. It's about investigative journalism, which isn't being, really being done much now. You know, the print industry has obviously been hit uh, by lean times, by the fact everyone just goes to the web and goes on Twitter now. So Spotlight feels like this real historical artifact, and it was obviously a very important film, an important chapter in American history, because it led to all the, uh, the convictions and arrests of all the, the priests who were committing all these sex abuse crimes in all these Catholic churches. So it's, it looks like it's a heavy film, but I think it's really important. So 
I think that's going to win. Director, maybe Ridley Scott for The Martian. It looks gorgeous. It's you know, shot in Mars. Maybe you go with him. Um, I'd love to see Tarantino win for screenplay for Hateful Eight. I thought it was extraordinary. I love Tarantino. I know people sometimes, especially with this one, they thought maybe a little too much violence, a little too much profanity, a little too much of what Tarantino does. But I'm like, listen, if you're a fan of his work, that's kind of what you're going to see. And I just love his dialogue. I, for people that think three hours is long at Tarantino, I could take four hours. I, trust me, there are 100-minute movies written by hacks that I can't take. I can take Tarantino with eight guys in a room, and they're all criminals and outlaws. I can do that all day. So uh, those are some basics. Those are the big movies, certainly. I think Spotlight's going to be a big winner. That's the one. And I also think Mad Max is going to do great in the technical categories. I'd love to see it win the big prizes. God, how crazy would that be? A movie like Mad Max, Fury Rogan, Best Picture. I loved it. I thought it was pure adrenaline. I'm not crazy... Action movie guy, not a big Mad Max guy, but I'd love to see that movie do well because that would prove that for all those who say the Oscars are too, you know, inclusive and they don't include movies that people actually watch. Well, trust me, Mad Max made a ton of money. That that would get people excited. Oh my God, Mad Max just won Best Picture. That's amazing. I saw that movie. It was great. Yeah, it's not going to win Best Picture. Look, look come on, really, <laughs> really. But the fact it's even going to be nominated, Ramona, is crazy. That is right? crazy. Like, to be perfectly the- honest with you, I, when I saw that, I was like, and I'm telling you, George. George Miller's going to get nominated for Best Director. When's the last time an action movie director was up for Best Director? He's, I'm um, right now. Lord He's of the Rings. Nominated. That moves me up to Best Director. Wasn't Peter... Did, did Peter Fantasy Jackman... Epic, right? Yeah, but there was action in there. There were orcs and they fought things. And hey, you know, there were uh, hobbits. I don't know. But, you know. That isn't like an apocalyptic action movie. So oh. That's a tough genre to crack me up. I'm trying to think. Apocalypse Now, maybe? But that's not really action. Yeah, I can't. Or film, yeah. I'm trying to think. I'm now, telling you, I'm it would, it would be the equivalent of Terminator 2 being nominated for Best Picture, which is a great film, but it was not. It was not, you know, James Cameron wasn't up for Best Director for that movie. That, that's how crazy this is, but Mad Max is getting that much love from the critics, and that's why they could get nominated for some stuff. It's just crazy. Interesting. Or maybe just, again, like me, they all have crushes on Tom Hardy, because he's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he is the man of a few words he doesn't need to speak, right? No, really, just put a mask on him and let him like try to attack Batman, and I'm super, super happy. <laughs> no, that was probably the last movie that got buzzed, like action movie. Um, the Heath Ledger, Joker, Batman, that one, the middle one. Yeah, Dark Knight, but again, that was why they changed the rules, right? Before it was only five films down for Best Picture. Dark Knight wasn't nominated. Yeah. Oh my God, this is a catastrophe. Okay, from now on, you can nominate between five and ten films. Because Chris Nolan was snubbed, they're like, hang on a second. We screwed this one up. He should have been nominated. The film should have been, let's change the rules. That should have been nominated, but it was not. It should have been. It was a good film. My personal favorite film this year was Inside Out. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was very clever, very funny. And it's one of those movies where it's a lot more for the adults. And again, if you're a parent, um, what happens with Bing, Bing Bong? At this point, you should know. So I'm not spoiling anything. But oh, it's heartbreaking. Just, it's, uh, I watched it. I loved it. I saw it with my wife and kids. And exactly what you just said. It's more for parents than the kids. Yeah. Um, but the voice work is amazing. Sadness is wonderful. And you're right. That Bing Bong scene when he goes, oh, I got an idea. And yeah, it, and, and he does it, like, take her to the moon. It, it literally breaks your heart. And I'm just yeah. like, oh, my gosh, Bing Bong. And my, like, you know, and it was a great movie with my children to explain emotional intelligence, which I loved. Um, Pixar. Yeah, just, and, like, the yeah. importance of sadness and why that actually leads to happen. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was an amazing message. I mean, those Pixar people are a different level. I mean, it, it yeah, is they really remarkable are. movies. They, they really, really are. All right, Adnan. Um, Galpal Nation knows who you are because I've just blasted it all over the internet. I, it was funny. I uh, was really trying to keep it like in. I'm like, because you never know with interviews like this, particularly because I knew you were going to be flying out tomorrow that something may have canceled. You never know because I, I didn't want to go like, I've got this giant, giant guest. Well, my buddy Jonathan leaked it. So Jonathan from Trivial Warfare Podcast, 
he leaked it. I'm like, son of a, fine, I'll go ahead and say it. So I went ahead and said, and you've been so, so generous with your time and your energy oh. and coming into this crazy podcast of mine. I, I just cannot thank you enough so, so much. Um, no, th- yeah. thank you, Ramona. I could have thought for hours. I love the fact that you're so enthusiastic and passionate about the same subjects that I am, and I hope that the podcast is a huge success, and it leads to, to, to many future endeavors for it. So I love, like I said, the fact you're in it, that's the most important thing. Enthusiasm is contagious, and you certainly prove that today. Well, thank you so much. If Galpon Nation wants to, um, now please, Galpon Nation, if you start following him on Twitter, do not do it to try to get him on your podcast. This was a rare thing. He is very busy. You've heard this, okay? He has to have time to watch all these movies. I don't know where he finds the time to do that, to be honest. And then he has tiny humans and a wife. I'm sure his wife would like to see him at some point. Plus, he has to watch all, like, the baseball's coming, guys. Yay, the baseball's coming. So, um, Adnan, where should they go to, where should they go to connect with you? Uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, admin, ESPN, A-D-N-A-N, and ESPN is capitalized. Uh, you're right. I should be, I should keep this than I am, but I, I love doing games with fans. So definitely up on Twitter and, uh, let me know what you think is going to win at the Dolan Globes. Cause I think it's going to be fun this Sunday. Even though, like we discussed, I will not be able to watch it live. <laughs> are you going to, like, DVR it? Are you going to, or are you just not even going to bother? I will because I love Ricky Gervais. I think he should host everything. Like I'm no. excited that Chris Rock I'm, I'm very, is back to host no, the Oscars. Tina Chris Fey. Rock is good, but I'm, there's nobody better than Gervais. He's no. unbelievable. Tina Fey and Amy Poehler <laughs> were perfect. Joke Gervais no. ever did Gervais, <laughs> Gervais at the Golden Globes two years ago was introduced in Mel Gibson. And he's, you know the expression, <laughs> no man, I agree with this, I like a drink as much as the next man. Pauses and goes, unless that next man is Mel Gibson. <laughs> Oh, funny. It was right after Mel had been in whatever drunken tirade he was involved in. I'm like, God, Gervais doesn't care, man. He just he just scorches people. He doesn't care. No, he really doesn't. He really doesn't. I like the promos they're using right now with him um, going, I don't care if you watch. I've already been paid. I'm like, that's fantastic because it's so true. Because it's so true. But I, I'm going to miss Tina and Amy. I'll be honest. Again, I'm biased for Tina because she's a Wahoo as well. Um, it's always fun to say nice. that. Yeah, no, seriously. I like to, like, like Virginia Tech, like, this is how sad I am, Adnan. I like to remind them that their most famous um, non-athletic um, alumni is a porn star. I'm not kidding. And they may have an astronaut. Um, whereas Virginia has, like, presidents and Tina Fey. So. There you go. Yeah. So, so, so we win. Um, anyway. Tina Fey, being edgy, Tina Fey, they had a great line when they were introducing Lee of the Golden Globes. They said, like, a supermodel's vagina. Let's give a warm welcome to Leonardo DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. And, but they can <laughs> get away crazy. with it. See, that's the thing. Like, people yep. are like, you're a girl, like, like a woman in sports. I'm like, yeah, I could just say a lot of things that if men said, they would never get away with. Like, I'm able to oh. push. The, uh, oh, yeah. I'm able to push that boundary, and some guys aren't just be able to. Anyway, gals and pals, it's Adnan Burke. He really is super nice and awesome, and now I can breathe because I got through the interview. Again, all the show notes, <laughs> all the links to him um, will be on my website at sportsgalpal.com. Of course, you can listen to me on blogtalkradio.com forward slash sportsgalpal. And again, the podcast, yo, it's on iTunes, Stitcher. Um, I'm a little bit of a podcast hoe, and it spreads around, so you can listen to it wherever you're comfortable I'm good with whatever, um, but just make sure if you do, subscribe and review it because it helps like iTunes. Because unfortunately, uh, you know, unlike his mothership where he works, um, and they're always in the top 200 of iTunes, you know, again, it's hard to out here for the independent podcasters. So I appreciate it when the big guys like an Adnan comes on the show. And again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much, Ramona. Very flattering. Trust me, I, I feel like a million bucks right now. So I, I appreciate you, you lifting myself to see the like a bit. Back to luck with the podcast and uh, be well.
Thanks for listening to the Sports Gal Pal podcast. And be sure to check out sportsgalpal.com.